This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time, but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Welcome to this week's episode of the Hero Academy. This week, I have my friend, Mac Tristan, who coincidentally, we met on LinkedIn and I was just discussing how uh, I got restricted. I don't want to say ban because I don't know how long the restriction is. I don't know if it's a lifetime ban, lifetime restriction, or if it's a temporary. It says it says that I was temporarily restricted. And, uh, you know, I find amazing people on LinkedIn. People have their, their real resumes up on LinkedIn. And uh, it's just, it's a shame that I can't actually speak to a person, you know? <laughs> That's sad. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah, That's I'll figure it well, out. Either you get I, resolved soon, man. That's and possible. I was paying. I was paying for a premium account too. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so I, I have to find out: Are they still going to charge me, or did they <laughs> did they pause that too? You know. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll still charge you. Uh, they better. They better not. I'll uh, <laughs> contact my credit card company. Yeah. So, 38 years in law enforcement, huh? 38 years, started in uh, in uh, summer of 81, right out of college, and uh, retired at uh, December of 2018. And man, it, it was a blur. <laughs> it just, it's like, it's like, what the hell happened? I just started. So it was great. That's right. great. I, I had a lot of fun in my career, too. I'm still, still active, as you know, but... Um, I did have a lot, a lot of fun. I still go in and have have great days and have some bad days too, oh, you know. Always. Oh, you know, I I have incredible. I had great memories. There was some really rough times and some difficult, challenging times. And you know, I I don't know. Yeah, the job is difficult, but I think it would have happened. It, you know, happens in life. For example, I'm divorced and. And people say, "Oh, the job it's hard on marriages." You know, I, I'm not going to cop out to that. I the divorce was of 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 choices that my wife and I made, and and I'm not blaming the job for that at all. That was on us. And uh, 
but overall i i would do it all over again it was it was an amazing career and i was blessed and i'm still blessed uh, to do what i do today because of my career and the things that i learned you know so it, it was it was awesome and and it's sad uh you know i have a friend of mine that's we out you know all our friends are cops right and friend of mine who's my replacement as a uh, chief of police in Coppell where I last worked. Um, he was my deputy chief and uh, he gets upset when you hear cops like us say, I, I don't want this for my kids. I would never have my kids, you know, become a cop. And he goes, well, then who else is left? You know, if we can't even recommend our own kids to do this job and this profession. Who else is left? These, you know, slugs that just give us a bad name. <laughs> My youngest son is uh, doing MMA and I don't want him to do, he's, he's fought some amateur bouts and I don't want him to do it all. I actually asked him very kindly if he would take the police test. Cause I think that he would be, <laughs> he has the right demeanor for it. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's very calm, very athletic, very reasonable. So I think he would be an incredible police officer, but he doesn't want, that like I want it more for him than he wants it, but I what I said to my uh, to my girl, uh, I said you know sometimes people they they might not it might not be their passion initially, but once you start like getting in that mindset like hey I might do this, it actually sometimes it turn it turns it flips a switch. Yeah, absolutely. I I I'm same with my son. My son is. Uh... Grown man, great personality, very calm, very, um, very uh, thought provoking, very, you know, um, just just a, a great kid. And I think he'd be a great police officer, but it's not what he wants to do. And and that's fine. You know, uh, I just think he'd do he'd do a wonderful job at it. Did you he... ever convince him to take any tests just to no. uh, see how he was? No, no, he, he was pretty clear. He didn't want to do that. <laughs> he was pretty <laughs> clear. I said, what are you going to do? You know, and so he got his college degree and he's doing his own thing now. But no, I never, never tried to to talk him into that. I mean, if I, he, wants, he knows what it's like and he lived yeah. it their whole lives. Right. They're from the day they were born. They this is who their dad was. And yeah, they they know it. You know, everybody they'd have friends over and the friends would freak out when they'd see me walking in, in uniform with my gun and. My kids are like, what are you talking about? What gun? They didn't, they didn't even notice it, you know? So yeah, it's all they, it's all they knew. But um, when they were little, did you um, demystify it a little bit and show them that, you know, or did like, what was your attitude towards it? I, you know, it was, it was a job to them. They didn't, they didn't, I didn't play it up or play it down. You know, it was what it was. And um, by the time they were born, I was already either a lieutenant or an assistant chief. So I had a, I, it wasn't like I was, had, you know, out working night shift. Now I would get up in the middle of the night when I get called in, when I was a lieutenant over the detective division and we'd have some major crime or as an assistant chief as well. Um, but they knew I wasn't out there on patrol on my own as, you know, that thing. So I think it was a little different than if than if I was a street cop and they were around. Uh, they don't remember that at all. How long were you a street cop? Uh, you know, I got to do so many things in my career. I I that's what I loved about. That's why I tell about people who want to be police officers. I was a kid that um, 
I would get bored easily. So <laughs> I needed every three years I'd get transferred, do something else, field yeah. training officer, sergeant, uh, patrol. I of course every time you'd get promoted in our agency, you go back to patrol. So I was yes. an officer and I get assigned to, you know, uh, I was in in personnel and recruiting, and so I was doing that about my fourth year in. So I was an officer, a patrol officer, about four years and. I did that. Then I get promoted to sergeant. They send me back patrol, right? So yeah. then patrol, and then I do three. Then I get assigned somewhere else. I make lieutenant. I go back to patrol, so, which was great. That's because that's where you learn to supervise people, uh, and you're in it. And so it was. It was a variety of times throughout my career that that I was out in patrol, but uh, loved it. But I, I tell people all the time the best job I ever had. I've been. Uh, you know, police officer, sergeant, lieutenant, assistant chief, police chief. The best job in my career was being a patrol sergeant because I had my own crew. It was my own guys, right? And so we eventually, initially as a new sergeant, man, I was challenged by the old guy. I was a young sergeant when I got promoted. And man, those old heads were tough on me, boy. But, <laughs> but I got them and I got to know them and I got to, I knew their buttons to push and I respected them. And um that when I finally got it and and I knew how to how to manage people and, and build relationships with them so that they could do the job that needed to be done and have fun doing it. Um, I remember I had an old head that just didn't want to do anything. And I just was just trying to get him to show up to work show up to do his backups and show up to make his calls. He didn't have to be the top producing officer, you know? Right. And and he did a great job after we got to know each other because I remember we were on working nights and every officer on in our, we called him briefings and people call him roll call right before he hit the streets, right? So I'm going over the past calls, new assignments and, you know, beat assignments and, and new announcements and everybody's right. He's in the back of the room clipping his nails, click. <laughs> no, take a single note down. Nothing. Click, click, and just and it's it's nobody's in the building but us, and it just that clicking noise just is so loud and in in your head. And I'm like, this guy, you know, and he was an older veteran, much older than everybody else. So I finally had enough, and uh, and we so we dismissed everybody. They went to they hit the streets, and I and I told him, I said, hey, when you get your car ready, come in back in and talk to me. He goes, okay. So he comes in, he goes, what, am I in trouble? And I'm like, I said, dude, I said, let me tell you something, man. I said, I know you don't take notes. I know you're, you know, you've been through it all, Ron. I said, but it's just really rude when you're doing that and I'm talking. Everybody else is writing. Everybody else is concentrating. And you're back there like it's your world and you don't care about nothing and you're going to clip your nails and that just, it, it's rude. And I said, man, it's just, it's not right. You know, I didn't, yeah, I was just, just in that tone. Right. It's not decent. It's not being know. decent said, to it's another not, person. Yeah, it's not being, it's not, it's just being rude, man. And he looked, he was quiet and he goes, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. And that's all it took, you know? And after that, we had a great relationship because we would just talk, you know, because he was a good guy. He just, he'd worked at different agencies. He was one of these guys that would move and, you know, and, and he ended up retiring from our agency. We became friends, but um, but no, being a patrol sergeant was probably the best job in my career. I have the best memories. We accomplished great stuff. 
And I had a great crew and it was it was fun. You know, what state what state are you from? Like, which I'm work? in Texas. We're in the Texas. Dallas area in, in Texas. I was working in Carrollton, which is northwest Dallas County. Um, and then when I moved to Coppell to be the police chief, we're, I was right. We're right next to Irving, um, Dallas, you know, just they're all in the cities of the Metroplex of Dallas, Fort Worth. So, that's yeah. Yeah. So uh, how big was your agency? Was it uh, medium size? Yeah, big, right? medium size. Uh, Carrollton was, oh, I don't know, maybe I guess they're pushing 300 total now. We had about. 170 sworn total, another 70, 80 civilian. When I moved to Coppell, we were smaller. We were about 80 sworn. Um, uh, it was it was a great, they were both great cities uh, to work for and, and work at and great communities. Uh, just just a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. Where was that shooting where? Um, in Dallas? Yeah, uh, no, I thought it was in Dallas where the guy was just actively shooting at police. Oh, the five police officers that were killed. That was July of 2016, July 7th in downtown Dallas. And it was right after one of the, I don't know if it was Michael Brown uh, incident. It was one of those situations. Yeah. And it was a big community march. And this guy decided he was going to kill some cops. And he he showed up downtown, went to one of the towers and just unloaded, man. And it was the saddest thing. I remember being at home watching it. And of course, we we start sending officers to um, to the location to help the city out because everybody was coming, you know. And that's the thing about, I'm sure it's the same where you're at. Um, doesn't matter jurisdictions when something bad happened, like Alan, the shooting at the outlet. Of course, I'm not working anymore as an officer. I'm, I'm more of an instructor people come from everywhere to help because you yeah. need, you can't just do these things by, by yourself. So yeah, that was a, a tragic, tragic night. And uh, we went pretty much to every funeral um, for like a month and a half. I mean, it was just spaced out one funeral after another, after another, after another. It was, it was sad. Yeah. I get these uh, text messages for brotherhood of the fallen mm. uh, to attend you know, funerals around the country and there's uh, a notification almost every other day. Yeah, it's that was that impacted us so much. Number one, because we're right here in their backyard, but then we were just tired. We're going to funeral after funeral. Of course, it's hot in July, but we were hosting. We hosted because, as you know, people come from all over the country, all over the world, really. Yeah, and we we hosted officers from LAPD, and you were part of a consortium, and they just asked for help. Whoever can host these people, and they're coming in, and we find hotels for them. We pick them up at the airport, drive them wherever to the funerals with us, you know. And so it was exhausting, but of course it was that uh, was minor compared to what families had to deal with. Um, yeah. yeah, it was sad, sad deal. Yeah, and then. And then, uh, just four years later, George Floyd happened. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> that turned the whole, that turned the whole world upside if, down. If it wasn't, if it, we weren't already screwed up with the pandemic, everything shut right. down. That happened, and uh, they had protests up here. And that's what I tell you know. I'm a, I'm a I'm a teacher now. I'm a speaker. I'm an instructor, and and we talk about the public trust, and we talk about how you know, the, the, the standard is above and, and uh, 
stuff happens in in policing that is horrible. I had me my my agencies had zero to do with Minneapolis, yep. Minnesota, right? Yeah. But they're protesting outside our building in Texas. Yep. You know, if you go if you go to a a Chili's and you get horrible service and the food's horrible, you get treated horrible. You're not going to go protest at Applebee's, you know, nope. but, but uh, with us, it's we're all paying the price across this country, across and, the country. Yep. Yeah. And, and I get it. You know, I get it. It's it's uh, I tell people that um, once you lose that public trust, it's hard to get back. It's like uh, it's if, if the public trust is this huge mirror and you look at it every day and you walk by it every day, citizens, officers, everyone. And then all of a sudden, a couple of goofy officers are messing around. They trip and and they 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 the mirror falls by their own doing and it shatters. We all put it back and we glue it and we tape it from the back. But every time you walk in front of it, you're going to see cracks forever, forever. And that's what happens. They look at it and there are cracks in this in this system. And the reality is that police officers, you and I, were not manufactured in some warehouse. We weren't grown in some field we come not, from, not yet no yeah not yet <laughs> we, we come from the general population and there is racism there are problems there's corruption there's there's wrong and good and bad in the general public and and the police bring that with them and i i just i think um the percentage is still low because we try to do the best we can and vet our people but it's it's certainly still there and that's the challenge for for all of us. Yeah. So to uh, just flip it, what's your fondest memory from your time on the job? Like your uh, best best story, that best oh, case man. that you worked on. There are so many from when I was a lieutenant over detective division. We we cracked incredible cases. When I well, was- when you're when you're giving talks. Do you have a like a go-to story that you that well you when I do my talks because I talk about culture and I talk about how leaders should lead, which, which is in this basic philosophy of servant leadership, which essentially means um, it's not about the leader, it's about those people that that the leader proposes to lead. Those stories are about relationships are about connecting with people, just like that story I just told you about that old veteran officer. Yeah. It's about, you know, when you've got a bad guy in your agency and problem after problem after problem and they're getting in trouble, they can't get out of their own way. And they're always getting written up, written up or doing something stupid. Right. And everybody knows it. And then, David, they finally do that thing that gets them in trouble. Just horrible thing. Um, Whatever the guy's name, uh, uh, the Georgia Floyd thing. Um Chauvin. Chauvin, yeah. yeah. So finally they do something. What does everybody say in the agency? What does everybody say? We knew that was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. Well, if you knew that was going to happen, why the hell didn't you do something? Why do you stand and watch the train wreck? So that's what we did. That's what I was able to do. And I was getting my team able to do is let's talk to these people. Let's try to coach them either out of their funk and out of their negativism or out of the agency. And the and what happens is we don't like to do that because if you're a negative person, David, and you and and you just actually suck at life, 
And <laughs> before you go, you drain the energy out of the room. Who wants to talk to you? Hell, yeah. I know. You're, yeah. you're going to ruin my day. So I get it. It's hard to, to come in and say, David, we got to have a talk. But it's necessary. You can't ignore it. And some of the best stories I had of those times of those people that I talked to and said, David, everybody tells me you used to be a great cop. Everybody tells me how great you were. I've never seen it. You're angry. And David says, oh, I'm not angry, sir. I love my job. Well, tell your face because you're screaming at me every day that you're angry. Hell, people, dogs don't want to talk to you, let alone people. You know, that's how bad it is. So you work with them and you work with them and you work with them. And some we were actually able to turn and they were actually able to see the negativism and, and the road that was leading to ruining their lives. And they were going through divorces. They hated their life. Their friends hated it. Just, it was just unhappy people. And can you imagine how sad a life that is to go through every day? So we were able to pull them out of it. Those are the best stories that, that I have. Yeah, I have tons of cop stories, this bad happened, this funny thing happened, but the great stuff and the and the teams that we build, those are great relationship stories because that's where it boils down to, yeah. On another note, I, I complimented you last time we spoke about uh, how good a shape you're in, and I said I could tell. <laughs> you, say, you, you say you're doing uh, push-ups every day, you said? I get up every morning, and, I, you know, I just – the schedule these days is so busy that I don't have time to go work out because I read. I, I plan for my next talk, or my next class, and they get up. First thing is knock out 100 push-ups, you know, right out of bed. Otherwise, you're not going to do it, and – Get in the shower, get going in the evenings. Don't you feel really um, like when I wake up, I feel I feel weak and I don't feel like like I can perform. I, it, when I wake up, I can do maybe 10, 15 and my arms just feel so weak when I wake. You know, I, I sometimes I feel certainly some, I'm not that guy that just wakes up the crack of dawn. I know people like that. It's just five o'clock. I like to sleep, man. But when <laughs> I'm up. I. I I, I'm up and I got to do it. It's like, uh, you remember that, uh, the talk, the former Navy SEAL, I think. David that, Goggins. Uh, well, no, the guy that did the talk um, at the UT commencement about making your bed first thing in the morning. I have his book. I'm like, what's his name? It's Mac? Admiral. It's yeah, Ad yeah, yeah, yeah. McCraven. McCraven, McCraven. That's who it is. And he touched, and it's what I do. I make my bed every morning. I'm married again. I used to, I was single for the last 13 years, but it didn't matter. I made my bed every morning because I that you just feel better, you know. Yeah. I do my push-ups every morning because I feel better, you know. Yeah. At least I did that. You know, I might be a slug that day, but at least I did that. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good habit. Yeah. Uh I want to respect your time and I appreciate you coming on. I just have like five final questions for you before we close out. And then I'm definitely going to have you come back on and tell some of those war stories. Cause I want to hear yeah. them. But uh, first question is what's your definition of a hero? Oh man. A hero to me is a person. It's an ordinary person that's placed in extraordinary situations and circumstances. And then they make a choice to do something. You know, I, it's you and me. It's anybody out there. It's And sometimes I think we do heroic things every day. We just don't consider other people might. 
you know, I, I have a little stepson now and we were driving around, I have a classic Mustang and I was driving around in the Mustang that one Saturday morning and it was an intersection. There was this Asian family that was stuck in the middle of the road and, and the guy was trying to push the car and I, man, I jammed it, pulled in the gas station. And I said, you stay here with the car. And I ran out there in the middle of the intersection. And I helped this guy push this car. Feels and good. And, and my little steps was like, what the heck is going on? I said, did you see all those cars driving by that poor family? Yep. Nobody was helping them. Yep. That small thing. Can you? And I'll never see that family again, but they were so happy that I stopped because they weren't getting it. That, that's what it is. Can you imagine if everybody did that in this country, in this society? I what can't imagine. Like? So that's that's having a servant's heart. And you have that, that quality. You have a servant's heart. Uh, number two, how do you save yourself when you're starting to feel stressed out? Man, I, how do I save myself? Or, yep, how do you show yourself love? Man, I, I have to forgive myself, which is really, really hard to do. I, I, you, I'm just hard on myself. And, and um, I have to say, I got to let it go. It, you control, I, I tell, because I teach it, and, and I, sometimes it's hard for me to, to, to do it. But, but I control what I can control, and I have to let go of what I have zero control over. The wisdom, the wisdom to know the difference. Exactly. And that's where I forgive myself. Like, I can't do anything about that. And then you reset the clock. I may have screwed this up royally, and but but I can't do anything. You and I can do nothing about the past. What we can do is reset the clock and start here. And how are we moving forward? And what did I learn from that? And we call that failing forward. Failure is okay. It's about forgiveness of oneself. And then saying, how do I get better at it? And that's what I always focus on. How do I do better? I grew up with the serenity prayer hanging in my mom's living room. And it uh, I'll never forget it. Like it's ingrained in my, in my mind. Grant me the courage to change the things that I can. The wisdom to know the difference. Absolutely. Exactly. Um. How long are you going to be an instructor for? Like, are you still enjoying Man, yourself? I, I love it. I've been doing it now since I, well, I was, I started when I was working, but um, I didn't want to be that chief that was never around. I've known those, those executives that are police chief and they're gone all the time. Yeah. I had a, I had a responsibility to my troops and my agency, and my city. Uh, so when I retired and started doing this full time, I didn't know how busy I was going to be. Dude, I'm I'm swamped. My calendar's booked. I'm traveling all over the country. I've been to Sweden five times and worked with the Swedish National Police. I've been to China once. Been to Mexico City. I travel everywhere. Um, but just like being a police chief, I think that you have to know when it's time to get off the stage. You have to know when it's time. And I I, I pray that I know when that is. Um, I was a police chief for eight years. And I could have done another two or five standing on my head. But I I fear being comfortable because I think when you get comfortable, regardless of rank, regardless of position, you get lazy, you get lax, you lose that edge. And as a patrol officer, man, that's dangerous. You lose that edge. So I didn't want to lose that edge. I loved what I was doing. So I, I had to pick that sweet spot of time. So I pray that I know what when that is as well, when I lose when I feel like I'm losing that message or whatever of servant leadership or whatever the leadership principles that I teach, um, it's going to be time and it's going to happen. It happens to all of us. So um, hopefully. I think you will know. I think you will know. You have that type of personality. That, like you, you'll, you'll know, you'll know, I like, uh, 
I pray for that wisdom, man. I really my, my heart. You'll know when your heart's just not there anymore, or you're just not, you know, not feeling the same level yeah. of passion. You you'll know. But the beauty of being a speaker and a trainer is that you can do it until you can't talk anymore. Like you could do this for the rest of your life if you chose to. Right. That's right. the beauty of it. That's true. That is absolutely true. That's why I love being a speaker and a coach because you can do those things long, long into your seventies, eighties. Yeah. You know what? I, I every every class I teach, everywhere I go, everywhere I do a talk, I always end it by saying to people, "If I can help any of you, call me, email me, contact me." And I'll be damned if people don't. Hey, I, I need to talk. You said this. Can can we talk? Absolutely. Let's figure out a time to talk. And I'm like a lot of consultants. I don't charge you for that. I mean, that's just what we should do for one another, right? If you need help, David, I'm here. Call me. I I got your phone number too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you a text. Um, just two last questions. What's your greatest power? What's your uh, your your strength? Your best ability. I, I think while I was working, my biggest strength was the ability to remain calm when all hell was bre breaking loose and the ability to coach my people to say, let's slow down. And, and I think, again, talk about when you get comfortable, you make mistakes. When you get in a rush, you make mistakes. That's key, key, exactly. key in leadership. That's key in leadership. It, sometimes we make it worse by just overreacting clearly. So slow down. Let's think it through and let's do the right thing. And while I was working, I, I felt that was my strength. I wasn't the smartest guy in the room, clearly, but I surrounded myself. I was successful because I surrounded myself with great people. And then I coached them and I insist that they do their job because I knew they had the ability to do it. I just had to say, slow down. Let's think this through and let's figure it out. I think that was probably my greatest strength when, you know, the, throughout this whole time. And then Mac, my last question for you: If you had a uh, comic book superpower, what would it be, and and why? Oh my God, dude! A comic book superpower. Um, I guess it would be the ability to just because I know I was going to say the ability to tell when people are lying to, but we all know when people. I told my kids growing up, don't ever lie to me because I'll know the minute. That you're lying, I know you're lying. And uh -huh. they, they believe that. And uh, because we can tell when somebody's not being. So I think the ability to um, to just convince people, to talk to them and convince them to do the right thing. Man, just like, David, you know, this is wrong. Let's just, you know, I remember hearing a guy, because I used to watch uh, a body cam videos of just randomly. Yes, yes. And uh, you had those guys that, Man, they were they were getting into fights to arrest this guy. And there was one officer I had. His name was Reggie. And Reggie had the ability to just talk to you and say, Hey man, you know you gotta you know I gotta arrest you. So why don't we just get in the car and, and let's just get this over with? And bad guy, like, okay, but I'll go with you. I'm gonna fight that guy because he treated me like <laughs> he had the ability to diffuse things instantly. And I love that. And that's that's what I want to do, just to be able to say, you know, calm down, dude. There were road rage. I mean, I'm out here in the highways and people are flipping me off. And I'm like, what? I didn't even see you, man. Give right. me a Just right. calm the hell down. When when I make my inevitable mistakes on the road, I just, I put up the praying hands yeah. and, and I try to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. I like that. And, and sometimes that, that 
kind of calms people down a little bit. But if you react like with the fist, oh. then it just enrages them even more. Oh, <laughs> and and you talk about heroes doing extraordinary things. Same thing with people who do stupid things. Yeah, they're they're getting in, in, in stupid situations and they react in a stupid way. And then they <laughs> the two kids that, that you were telling me, the one that stabbed the other. Yeah, yeah, that was. It's like, why are you bringing a knife to a carnival? Yeah. It's like, yeah. come on, come on, man. Like, what do you think is going to happen when you pull that Her knife mind, out? Life is ruined. One life is gone and the other one is ruined. Yeah. Thank it's- God uh, it, it didn't become a homicide. It was just a, uh, you know, really bad felony assault. But, yeah. uh, thank you know, thank God the one kid made it because oh, yeah. not, er- not everyone makes it after, you know, infections kill people, too. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Mac, thank you so much. Hey, I brother. appreciate your time. Thank you well, so much. I appreciate you. It, it went fast, and we will we will do it again. Absolutely. Take care. Be safe out there. All right. Bye bye. All right, all right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of this story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.